The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WNKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investments. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WNKV. And now your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Good evening and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and this is, of course, the only show on public radio that each and every week puts you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And we've got a great topic tonight, how to get all the private money you can handle with national expert Alan Cowgill, who is also the featured speaker at tomorrow night's Cincinnati RIA meeting. Uh, Alan will be on about 7.30, and it's at the usual location there at the old Swifton Commons, now the Jordan Crossing, at the corner of Reading and Seymour. If you'd like to stop by for the early meeting, that's at 6 o'clock. The topic is How My Business Runs, and uh, I will be making that presentation to talk about the staffing and the systems and so on that go into running my business. That meeting is open to the public, and more information can be had at Cincinnati RIA. Dot com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A dot com. Now, today is a special pre-recorded show because uh, we had some scheduling things. We are here uh, in the studios on Wednesday, but we're here before 5 o'clock. So, unfortunately, we won't be able to take your questions directly today. But we have had a number of folks who responded to the email call for questions uh, about private lending. And... Uh, my guest tonight is Alan Cowgill, who is from the Springfield, Ohio area, a little town between Dayton and Columbus. He quit his job about 17 years ago to become a full-time real estate investor and quickly ran across the problem that most unemployed real estate investors have, which is that uh, banks don't want to give you enough money to buy all the great deals that are out there. So he developed a system for rounding up private money. Folks who had uh, cash in the bank weren't happy with the uh, returns they were getting and wanted to make the loans to him on real estate. And we're going to talk tonight about that system, about private lending, and about how to find these private lenders. Alan, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Well, thank you, and I'm tickled that I'm here. Uh, I'm tickled that you're here, too, because this is a hot topic. It has been a hot topic for a while, but given the current credit crunch where even people that are ought to be pretty qualified to get a loan from a bank aren't anymore, mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, private lending is a, uh, a, a really awesome uh, way to overcome that, both for you as the investor and also for your lender. Mm-hmm. Definitely. No question about it. It's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, there are things that one needs to understand about private lending in sort of the uh, legal realm, okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. that, because it's not its not that you can just like throw an ad in the paper that says, hey, I borrow private money, call me. Um, there, are, there are rules and filings and different things that have to be done about that. And since we do have a national listing audience, I want to start by saying that uh, you really need to check with your state, and with a an experienced uh, SEC attorney who understands private lending, because that's a smaller group than all SEC attorneys, uh, to see what how you can go about 
advertising, raising money, what sort of disclosures you have to make, and so on. And, Alan, I know that you're giving a presentation here for Cincinnati RIA as well on um, Saturday the 12th of September, I believe, yep. uh, that's going to that's gonna cover a whole lot of that part of it. Yeah, that's what I bring into the Saturday because um, it's uh, uh, more in-depth and uh, the folks have a lot of, a lot of questions, so mm-hmm. uh, they want to make sure that they're doing it right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what uh, that's why I do that on a Saturday. Yeah, people people get very excited about getting private lenders and getting private money, and unfortunately uh, don't pay enough attention to what they ought to be doing uh, in the in the legal realm because it's not it's not that difficult, but it is something that has to be done and has to be understood. And I just wanted to to kind of get that out of the way up front. Uh, so, Alan, um, we have we have a number of questions that have come in from listeners already. But before we get into those, uh, can you just to, to, to give us sort of like an outline? Can you can you walk us through what a typical private lending deal is for you? Yeah, what'll um, uh, happen is um, I, I will uh, find someone. Uh, uh, the best way to do it, and and the way that you talked about the SEC and the way they actually. Uh, prefer that you do it is is work with uh, what they call um, uh, people that you got a prior relationship with, and other po- folks might say, well, that's a, your circle of influence, or I call it family, friends, and associates. And what uh, what you want to do is is work uh, with folks that you know starting out. And I start out with uh, with my mom, uh, that was my first private lender, and uh, it, it's basically someone that has come into some money. And uh, mom came into money because um, she got some insurance money when my dad passed away. And she did what most folks would do. She took it down and plunked it down on a bank CD. And she'd study their eighths in the area and drive 45 minutes one way to get an eighth of a point on a CD. And the goal was, with her, was to squeeze every penny um, out of the interest on that on that CD. Um, so, you know, right now, I mean, CD rates are pathetically low. And... Uh, uh, it doesn't take much for a real estate investor to beat those, and, and folks are afraid of the stock market. And actually, as real estate investors, we can also use um, uh, lenders that have uh, IRAs, which I call the pot of gold. That's the best one if you can uh, find somebody with an IRA. But uh, you, you basically start out with, uh, and you asked me about my typical lender, is, is someone that uh, that I know, and they've got uh, uh, some money that they want to earn a high high rate of return on. And one of you, one of the things you want to do as a real estate investor is is figure out early on what your minimums are so that you aren't uh, uh, dealing with uh, too low amounts for the uh, for the type of properties that you're that you're buying, and uh, uh, you work with people people that you know. And, and basically, my lenders uh, really have very 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 little involvement in in my deals other than the fact they fund them. Their job is to is to loan the money and set back and and wait for a bigger check coming back from me and cash that check. So um, it's uh, I take care of everything for my lender. I, I uh, all they have to do is is wire or send in a bank check to the closing. I don't want a personal check because uh, you've got to have good have to have good funds at closing. So I want my lender to to send in good funds so we can have a a closing and. Uh, and then the lender doesn't have to. They don't go to closing. They don't have to uh, um, uh, do anything else other than wait for the check. Now we do give them documents that secures the loan, and uh, that would be a, a mortgage, a promissory note, hazard insurance, and lender title insurance. And and they get those documents after closing, and and then 
uh, we set up the the terms going in, uh, which is whether I'm going to pay monthly payments or whether I'm going to pay uh, once the house uh, sells, which means I wouldn't have monthly payments. And we make that decision going in, and that's on the promissory note. And um, and if they wait uh, till the house sells, then then once I I sell the property, then they get all their uh, principal and accrued accrued interest back. If they want monthly payments, uh, I do something I think is fairly unique. I I pay them on the fifteenth of the month, and uh, the reason I do that is because I've got uh, uh, houses on uh, lease options that uh, where the tenant will buy the property and they're making their payment on the first of the month and uh, I know many many banks will set up your payment back to them on the first of the month that means your rents are coming in on the first and your payments got to go out on the first and that math just doesn't work for me I like to have a little gap in there so I'll have the uh, I'll have the tenant payment coming in on the first but I'll have the mortgage payment going back out to my private lender uh, on the 15th of the month which if uh, if the tenant's late, then you got a little gap in there. Mm-hmm. Very good. When we come back, we're going to uh, talk more about private lending, how to find these lenders, set up the deals, and answer your questions. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Hey, kids. It's Mr. Drew. I wanted to invite you to go to realliferealestate.com and check out all the great information about real estate investing and the news about upcoming events. Go ahead and do that. I'll know if you don't. I'm watching you right now. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Alan Cowgill, who is the featured speaker at the Real Estate Investors Association Cincinnati meeting tomorrow night, as well as a private lending expert. And we're talking about getting private lenders, setting up private loans. Uh, We've got some questions here from uh, listeners about uh, various aspects of this that we are going to answer here shortly. And by the way, really appreciate the listeners who sent these things in early. Uh, if you're wondering how they knew to send them in early, it's because they uh, went to askvina.com and said, I want to get that weekly e-letter about real life real estate investing. So we were able to send them out a uh, notification that calls had to be, or the uh, questions had to come in early. And, uh, what the topic was, and they were able to, they're going to be able to get their questions answered. So you can go to askvina.com and uh, sign up for that weekly e-letter. So, Alan, uh, you mentioned that that the first place that people should go to find private lenders is within their circle of influence, friends, family, colleagues, friends of friends, people like that, Uh, because, of course, that's where, especially if you're a new investor, you've got some level of trust and you don't have to present, well, here's my entire portfolio and, you know, <laughs> all, all this experience I have. Uh, instead, what you're, what you're showing to those people is here's why it's a nice secure deal. Your mm-hmm. loan. Cause uh, I don't, I don't know if we mentioned this, but private lenders tend to be people who they, they, they don't want a lot of risk. They want to, <laughs> they want to like collect a check. They, yep. they don't, they don't want to do what, what banks are having to do now and, uh, foreclose on a lot of properties. They just want the check. And one of the ways that uh, they are uh, assured that even if everything goes wrong, even if you get hit by a bus and can't make your payments anymore, is that the the, the amount of the loan that they're making on the property is typically no more than 70 to 80% of the actual value of the property. That's correct. 
And and of course that's where that's where our education as our other education as real estate investors comes in that we can go out and actually find deals like that because uh, if if <laughs> if the banks had loaned seventy to eighty percent of what properties were worth instead of a hundred to a hundred and ten percent, they wouldn't be in nearly the trouble that they are hmm. right now. <laughs> yep. Even in in that case, even in a foreclosure. Um, you know, you, you, so, so so what? You know, you, you get you get your money back at the sale if you're the lender because the property will typically uh, sell for more than what it than what uh, you have in it at the foreclosure. Um, we had a question uh, from uh, a, a, a listener about approaching these lenders, and the question was, how important is it to have a business plan to present to them? Well, uh, that's a great question, and, and what you want to have is is a disclosure statement. And what what happens is just just like you and I are talking right now, Vina. Um, you know, I might say, hey, I I pay seven percent interest, and you might hear something different. You might hear seven point six or something like that. And um, and it's easy that uh, when you're just talking that that things are misunderstood. So you don't want to have that happen with with your private lender. You want to make sure that everything is is um, known and and they they know exactly what your program's all about. And so what I have and what I would recommend for all real estate investors is to have a disclosure statement. I've got a nine page disclosure statement that I hand my private lenders. In fact, um, I even take it a step further to where I have them sign a little piece of paper that they received it, and then I can put that in the the, my file with that for that private lender's name, uh, so that uh, I will know that uh, that I gave them my disclosure statement. And if anything, is, you know, happens in the future, then we can go right back to that document and say, you know, here's here's what my my business plan is, which is what your initial question was. Here's what I'm doing with your money. Here's how you get paid back. Even what you said earlier, Vina, about uh, no more than seventy percent loan to value on the property. Um, you know that's in there, and the the actual the, the total scope of my what my business is all about and what the private lending program is all about is in my disclosure statement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, th- those disclosure statements again, going back to that that legal part that we don't have four hours to cover. Um, <laughs> that that's part of the requirements in most states. To yeah, it, yeah, it, it is. It, and it, the interesting thing about it is, is in some states it's required, and some some states it's it's uh, um, it's not, but but it's recommended. And um, not to get too convoluted on this, but there is uh, uh, some states will even uh, produce a form that uh, the the uh, real estate investors in the, those states would fill out, which is called a uh, small company company offering um, uh, form. It's called SCORE, S C O R E, um, and uh, uh, SCOR without the e, uh, small company offering registration, and so um, it would take the place of my nine-page disclosure statement. And it's just a Q and A. Uh, it's quite lengthy, but it it uh, it covers um, all the different aspects of your business, and you can use that as a handout for your private lenders also. But yeah, in every state. It's either required or recommended. Mm-hmm. And that question came from Marissa, and that that one actually came in via our fan site at reallife real estate radio dot com, which uh, you can also 
get there, join, become a fan of Real Life Real Estate and get updates about uh, what's coming up on Real Life Real Estate. Um, so, Alan, as these deals actually come about in real life, um, you live in an area that, 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 like Cincinnati, is not a really high-priced uh, real estate market. And so, you know, your typical bread and butter type house is going to be around the $100,000 range. Mm-hmm. And you, like all investors, are actually looking to buy that at 60 to 70 cents on the dollar all in, including repair costs. So let, let's pretend we've got some numbers on a real house. Let's pretend you've got a $100,000 house and you're going to pay 40 for it and you need $20,000 for repairs. Mm-hmm. How how would that private loan be set up so that you could do that deal? Oh, okay. Um, what uh, what I do is uh, I would uh, I would have uh, talked to uh, the folks in my circle of influence, and I'd find out who's in and who's not. And the folks that are in, I would uh, I would pick up pick up the phone and and call them up. In fact, I I kind of kid around when I'm I'm talking about this it's it's kind of like ordering pizza for me when I uh when I order money from private lenders it's the money's no no farther away than a phone call so I'll pick up pick up the phone and I in your example there uh, I need $64,000 uh to cover the uh the purchase and the and the fix up and I will borrow a little bit extra you know I will borrow what I call contingency money so I might borrow another $3,000 in this example, so let's make it uh, sixty-seven thousand dollars. And um, and when I talk to my private lender, I say, "Well, uh, uh, we're ready to get started. I need to have you um, uh, send the money in, into closing. The money uh, does not come to me. It, it is not in my name. Uh, needs to be in the name of my uh, title company, my closing agent. And so I'll give give them that name and the address, and I'll, I'll say that the money needs to be come in in a bank money order or in a wire, not a personal check, and it needs to get there by next Wednesday. Uh, and I give myself uh, a little bit of a gap uh, between that date and the closing date. So, you know, it'll, the closing date might be out another week outside of that, but no farther. And so uh, I'll have them send in $67,000. But I don't give them the breakdown that you you gave me uh, what I what I do is I just say I need sixty seven thousand dollars for the deal and they they happily do that they send the money in now when you go to closing the closing is I'm not bringing the check in because I don't touch the checks coming in because I want to handle the money professionally and it's just like a bank if you go to the bank and get a loan and and you're gonna uh, do a closing they they don't send the money to you ahead of time they send it to the to the closing agent because that's what the closing agent does. It's the disbursement of funds and disbursement of the of the paperwork. And so, the private lender will will send. Well, let's say they send in a bank money order made out to the title company, and that will go into their escrow account. And then we close. and And the day of closing, what will happen is um, the seller will be uh, paid off. In your example, forty four thousand dollars, and they're happy. And then there'll be some uh, additional costs in there. There's going to be uh, uh, the closing costs, and uh, and so what will happen, that extra $3,000 that, that I added to this, all those closing costs will be covered, and, and I always get lender title insurance, and there's a cost to that, and so uh, I just cover that with, with that money, and I'll walk out of uh, closing uh, with a key to the property, the deed, and a fistful of cash, 
and uh, you said twenty thousand in repairs, and and let's say I've got uh, uh, typically it's you know it's an all cash closing. The closing cost is going to be about eight hundred seventy five dollars. So so I'll have twenty one thousand dollars when I walk out of closing, and uh, that money is uh, I guess twenty two thousand dollars. That money will be uh, uh, used for for the repair work. And, and so I'll go over and, and start the rehab the same day. I'll have a contractor's meeting that day, and some of the contractors will need, need money up front for materials, and I can write checks on that. We're good to go. So I funded 100% of my, my rehab. The other thing I've got is a couple extra thousand dollars, that contingency money. And if I, uh, if I missed my rehab money, well, I've got a little bit of extra money to cover me. But... Um, uh, if not, or if it's a, if it's a subject to deal, I can use that money on the, the payments uh, for the property. In this example here, it's a, a full blown rehab that you're talking about, and I always borrow a little extra. And I'd recommend that everybody does. The bottom line on this though is don't over leverage the house. I didn't suck all of my profit out of this property. What I did was I just borrowed extra just to protect myself, so that if there is a problem, I don't have to go out and borrow it again or reach into my pocket. And uh, and use my money, and and very importantly, the in the scenario you just did, the uh, the lender is still in the deal for under seventy cents on the dollar when it's fixed. Mm-hmm. So even though you borrowed out an extra few thousand dollars, you're not you're not into it for eighty or ninety percent of value, which is a huge mistake. Um, a lot of uh, private borrowers, once they figure out how easy it is to get private money, uh, start doing exactly that. They'll they'll borrow yeah. what they need plus another twenty thousand dollars to live on, which is which is really the profit from the deal, and that puts your lender in a bad position, and it puts you in the position of having already gotten your profit out of the deal, so that when you ultimately do sell it, there's nothing left. So the, that 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 that's that's not cool. The 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 security of the borrower is very very important in these situations. Uh, we're going to come back in just a minute and answer some of our listeners' questions here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Davina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Alan Cowgill, and we're talking about private money and Let's talk questions. We've got a question here from Charles in Irvington, New Jersey. And there's two questions here, and I'm going to actually ask the second, the first one last because it's it's a little bit of a more complicated question. His second question is, how do I make a new lender feel comfortable in lending their money to me for the first time? Well, the you know, the proof is in the pudding. And, and what happens is uh, when you when you start working with a lot of private lenders, you'll have uh, some folks that have been out on deals and they've gotten their money back. And then if you have a new lender uh, come in, or if it's your first lender, the the goal here is to get their money working as quickly as possible. And uh, and what I tell folks is is, uh, there's really two knobs that you turn in this business uh, at the very top level. One knob is is, uh, your buying machine and cranking up that knob, and that's what most real estate investors do. Uh, But uh, some of them go out and beg for money at banks, so they, they, it's hard to crank that knob. But if you got private lenders, you can crank that knob. And uh, and the goal here is is to make sure that you're you're cranking this buying knob to where you can get these new lenders' money um, out on the property property as quickly as possible, so they can see how the program works. Part of the 
fear and concern of the new lender is is are you going to do what you said you're going to do and also how does this whole process work because they've never never done this before so once you walk them through the steps physically uh they see how easy it is and how they can get a nice return on their money and they're eager to get back in uh on a deal the next time so my goal is and the answer to this is um uh is to get their money out there there's another piece of this to where uh, if they have what I, I call objections, they come in and say, well, how do I know if my money's secured and, and um, uh, how do I know that you'll do what you say you're going to do and different things like that? Well, one of the things that the real estate investor uh, needs to be prepared for is to answer those objections. And uh, uh, I, I see the objections typically come down to, to a couple different areas. One is, is, is greed, how much money you got to pay me, and that's easy to answer because you can – you can talk to them right up front where, like in my case, I make monthly payments or I let the money accrue. Uh, number two is um, security, which I believe that's where this question's coming from, uh, from your listener, Vina, uh, in that, um, you know, uh, where they're a little timid about this. And what I, I do there is is I, I, I make sure the lender understands that they get a mortgage, a promissory note, has insurance, lender title insurance on the property. The same thing that banks get. Uh, when they finance all the other homes. But I take it a step further, and I talk about exactly what you did earlier, Vina, where we don't over-leverage the property, which uh, puts in a, another level of of security for uh, for the private lender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, so A is, here's the documentation, the legal documentation we're going to use to secure this. Here's the property that's going to be used to secure this, which is, as you can see, worth a lot more than what you're loaning me. And then part two is do what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and exactly right. a, a lot of, a lot of private lenders, when they're first starting uh, to do lending or they're first starting to do it with a new borrower, uh, they want to start out relatively small. You know, maybe they've got half a million dollars that they'd like to lend, but they only want to do 50000 on the first deal because they want to see that you're doing the stuff that you said you were going to do. And many times once you find a private lender, uh, you discover after doing a deal with them that they actually have quite a bit more to invest with you than they initially let on. Oh, yeah. Isn't that amazing? And, and uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that uh, Thursday night and Saturday again about how we uh how we how we work with the lender to 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 see what they're comfortable with mm-hmm. now his second question and this is the one that's a little more you know gets gets into a little more technicality is what is the best way to advertise for private lenders well all right um i get that question a lot and um um you got you got two paths you can go down first off on advertising um there's times you cannot advertise, and there's times that you're allowed to advertise. And uh, uh, there are five areas that are controlled in every every state in the United States when it comes to private lending, and and this is this is the 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 one that comes up the most because real estate investors they seem to they don't know, and they run out and and uh, sometimes uh, advertise for a private lender, and you're not allowed to do that unless you've asked for permission. So you cannot, cannot, cannot uh, jump jump off this this call and start advertising. Uh, what happens is the uh, the SEC uh, allows us to work with people that we know that circle of influence, and therefore you don't have to advertise to them. You just talk to them, or 
you know, you pick up the phone and call them and, and tell them about what you do. And so that's a starting point. And that's what I encourage my students to start. Well, at some point, uh, people's business grow to the place to where they need more private lenders and, and uh, uh, or they, they, they want to go out and start working with strangers. And if that's the case, then you go back to exactly what you said right at the start, Vina. Uh, you go hire an SEC attorney. Do not, do not, do not hire a real estate attorney um, because just like doctors, there's different areas of expertise when it comes to attorneys, and you want to make sure that you're working with the right attorney. And with what we're talking about here with private lenders is the SEC, where they control uh, what's allowed and what's not allowed. And so um, you get with an SEC attorney, and you uh, tell them that you want to advertise to find private lenders, and then they will file some paperwork. And uh, typically it's not a lot of money on filing the paperwork. Now, your SEC attorney might be a couple bucks. They're going to you know, get their attorney fees out of this, but they file uh, with the SEC. And then, uh, and one of the things they're going to want to do is look at your advertising. And one of the things I should mention here is um, the SEC is in place to protect not you, the real estate investor, but they're there to protect the lender. And what they don't want us to do as real estate investors is mislead the private lender or what they call uh, commit fraud and one of the things that they they uh, don't allow is is for um, anyone to say that the investment is guaranteed. So you cannot 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 use any words that would mislead the private lender, and uh, and one of those would be the word guarantee. So uh, because you know real estate can go up and down, and maybe the in, uh, investment uh, has some problems, and so you you can't you can't mislead or you can't say that word, even though you have. In your in your heart, you believe everything's going to work out okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't you just can't say that word. So you can't you can't jump off this call and start advertising. That's a good way to get in trouble. You can't. And when you do start advertising, you can't use the word guarantee. But you can't advertise until you yeah, you make sure that the SEC within your state uh, takes a look at your advertising and um, and and says that. Uh, uh, it's it's okay that you go ahead and, and do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, here's a question from Lisa in Worthington, Ohio. She says, I have bought and rehabbed two houses to hold, and now it's harder to get money from banks to do it, so I have some experience doing rehabs. So what is a reasonable rate of interest to offer my private lender? Oh, I love that question. Uh, I'll tell you what, when I started in the business uh, way back when, many, many years ago, the the philosophy back then and the going rate was 15% interest. Of course, the market was considerably different than what we've got today. And what happened was the market shifted on me, and uh, and my uh, private lenders thought I, uh, my number, my percentage was too good to be true, so I had to lower the rate to make them happy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's tough, isn't it, when you've got to lower mm-hmm. your interest rate? But, um, uh, Lisa, to answer your question, uh, the uh, I have some of my students paying 4%. Four and a half, five, five and a half, six percent, and you're, you're saying, "My gosh, Alan, why would somebody agree to four percent?" Well, just think about the private lender. Many times they've got money on a bank CD. Bank CDs right now are paying two percent. Uh, and if you would ask them, "Well, what would they like to get?" They would say, "Well, if I could double my money, I'd be happy." Well, that's how a lot of my students are around four percent. The going number right now is is someplace between five, six, seven, and possibly eight percent, but uh, 
uh, that uh, the five, six, seven percent range seems to be uh, popular with my students in this market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I often have lenders asking the same questions. That there's always folks out there who are throwing out higher numbers when they're talking to private lenders, and gosh, I'm I'm still hearing sometimes numbers from like twelve to fourteen percent, and the lenders come to me and say, "Why is she offering 12? And you're mm-hmm. offering seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I say, mm-hmm. well, the only explanation I can come up with is I've done like 500 deals and mm-hmm. she hasn't. And maybe she doesn't feel like your loan is as good to her. I don't really know the answer to that. But 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 really, I mean, pe- people do question, uh, lenders do question those numbers, especially when Fannie Mae rates right now are down in the 5%, you know, five 5.75% percent range they say wait a minute you're tripling that that that, that doesn't sound right yeah what i think is going on in the in the in the real estate investor's mind is if i throw out a higher percentage out there uh i'm going to get i'm going to get a lot of private lenders and but sometimes it happens in reverse and that you put a big rate out there and and they and they think that you're you're silly you you aren't real it's too good to be be true Mm -hmm. and uh uh, they don't they they, actually you hurt your credibility Mm-hmm. By not being by by not being in the ballpark where you need to be based on the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lisa had a couple more quick questions, and then we'll take a break. She says, "Would you change the interest rate if the if the lender did not expect monthly payments and instead would be willing to wait a year or more to get their principal and accrued interest?" You know, I get that question sometimes, and um, uh, in fact, I've gotten it from some of my private lenders and. Uh, I tend to get questions from my students, like if if they have a second mortgage as opposed to a first first mortgage, do you pay more? Uh, I've had private lenders ask me if uh, someone was loaning me a hundred thousand dollars, ask me if well, if I give you four hundred thousand, will you pay me a higher interest rate? I've never done that. Um, I've got my program and I and I stick to it, and um, and I found that uh, that my life is is a lot easier mm-hmm. on that. So and what Lisa, what you're asking on on the length of time. Um, you know, I don't. I don't do that either. I don't pay pay a different amount on that. I've got I've got my program, and I know what the parameters are, and and I just stick with that, and everybody fits within my program. Yeah, and Lisa, if you if you take out a spreadsheet and do do compounded interest over a year, you'll find that their rate goes up naturally by virtue of the fact that it's you're adding principal interest to the principal balance each month. So if you choose to do that, do it that way. It, the yield actually does go up. I mean, a lot of people just do simple interest, but that that could be a come on for the lender. She also says, uh, once you've done a deal with a private lender, do you offer them some incentive to write a testimonial about their experience to help you establish credibility? Uh, uh, you know, some some of them will give you testimonials uh, without asking. I mean, they're so tickled about it. And uh, I've never uh, given them anything for a testimonial. So... Um, uh, you know, I'm probably my highest price would probably be a pizza, twenty five twenty five dollar gift certificate to the local restaurant, right? You got it. And you she says, it. "Do you need to give your private lenders a ten ninety nine interest form at the end of the year?" Oh, very good question. The answer is yes, ten ninety nine int. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know this the first year. Very confusing for me. I didn't know if I was supposed to send something to them or they were supposed to send something to me, and uh, uh, because they were my bank, and I was thinking, well. Uh, the bank you know, sends to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. So a big discussion with my accountant. But bottom line, uh, what has to happen is uh, if you have dispersed interest within the calendar year, then you you need to 1099 INT your private lenders. If you have not dispersed interest and the money's accruing, then you don't need to to send anything out in that calendar year. 
the end of that year, uh, only in the years that you disperse funds. And this is this is really the kind of practical issue that you you're, you cover in your in your live presentations because really they should be sending it to you, but but the practical matter is they don't know how to calculate it. So yeah. uh, if you want to write it off, if you want to write it off, you better send it to them. Uh, when we come back, we'll take more listener questions and talk more to Alan Calville about how to get private lenders. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and I'm talking today to Alan Cowgill, who is a nationally known expert in rounding up private funds, mostly because he has done it himself in his own business for many, many years. He's speaking at Cincinnati RIA tomorrow night. More information about that at CincinnatiRIA.com. And I, I got to tell you, Alan, when I, I'm, I'm so glad we have the opportunity to answer questions on this show because like I know what I'm interested in. I know what I know what I want to know and I can always try and guess what other people want to know, but I always get these these surprise questions that are really interesting. And here's one from Michelle in Roanoke, Virginia. Now, you ready to wrap your head around this one? All right. She says, "If a RIA group was considering hosting an event to attract private lenders, how should the group split up that resource?" So, in other words, when I first read the question, I thought I thought she meant how could the group make money from the transactions going on? And the answer is, the answer is probably not at all. You don't want to get into that, you know, actually making money putting together private lenders and borrowers unless you have a mortgage broker's license. And I don't think that RIA groups can get those. So mm-hmm. um, in rereading it, I think what she means is, let's say the group has 100 members and 25 private lenders show up. Mm-hmm. How would we go about you know, letting the information be passed on to those folks. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, we could we could spend uh, a whole radio program more on this question alone. Uh, first off, uh, you're not allowed to advertise. Second off, um, the SEC wants you to work with folks that you know, the folks that that, uh, um, that you have a prior relationship with. Now, when they say prior relationship. That means that you've known the folks for 30 days and you've had at least uh, three touches with them, three uh, communications with them. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, what happens here is, is uh, first off, how are you, you going to attract the private lenders to the room? You can't, you can't advertise, and so you're just going to bring in your, your friends. Well, you might as well talk to them yourself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you can't use somebody else's person because... You have to have a prior relationship of 30 days with them, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so the front part of this uh, it, it potentially violates what the SEC wants you to do and what what's all, all about. The cool thing about the rules with the SEC is, is I know on the outside they seem confusing, but they're actually very, very simple and easy easy to follow. And, um, uh, and what you're getting into right here is the fact that, that that everybody is in an exempt category, which means you're allowed to go out and find private lenders, and um, and uh, and start working with folks that you know. Um, the second part of this this question, I've had that before, Vina, but but it's uh, typically when two people want to partner up and they say, okay, we're going to partner up and and we're going to have have a meeting of uh, a presentation with private lenders and and. Um, and they're people that we know, so that doesn't violate anything, and having a, a meeting is great. Uh, but then how should we divide up the money? And and I always recommend that 
that they put everything in writing ahead of time and decide, um, you know, you know who's going to get what chunk of money. Uh, so you just need to think through, you know, because there's a lot of downsides on this thing. On, uh, um, you know, you only bring in enough for one deal. Well, you know, one person get that, everybody left out. The other, the partner left out. So um, this this concept of the RIA wanting to bring in private lenders, I would I would caution what you're trying to do and. Uh, and I don't know how you get by that first part, mm-hmm. um, you know, on, unless you're doing like maybe an education just for private lenders about the possibility of using their funds but not seek out funds mm-hmm. and then work with folks one-on-one later on mm-hmm. and after you know them. So. Yeah, and it is going to, it is going to, I'm just imagining a RIA group trying to coordinate this and make their members happy with the results <laughs> it's just yeah. you know having been involved with re- with a lot of different regroups for a lot of years i i think this is maybe something that uh, y'all don't want to get into michelle because no. i mean it seems like a great idea on the surface but there's some there's some legal issues and there's some practical issues around this now alan uh one thing that i i do want to clarify for our listeners you keep you keep mentioning friends and family and circle of influence and all of this mm-hmm. sort of stuff and i'll tell you the reaction that i usually get as soon as i say that you know, people are always coming oh, where do i get private lenders where do you know can you can you give me a private lender no because <laughs> i need them right um but mm. uh, and i say you know friends and family you know do what alan says mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. family and colleagues and th- that sort of thing and they say but I don't know anyone who has any money, and that's almost never actually true. Right. And in fact, I've even had uh, students tell me that they're part of the NFL club. Well. No friends left. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, so they're, they're saying, uh, okay. But but your your point is, is very well taken. You know, if they would, would stop and take the time to write down a list of, of names and, and uh, in fact, you know, think back about high school friends and stuff like that. I, I had a high school buddy that I, there wasn't anybody in the school thought he'd amount to anything, and he, he turned around and, and created a business, one of those rent-to-own businesses, and uh, rolled the clock forward. A few years later, his, uh, his partner bought him out for $2 million. And so, you know, my high school friend doesn't have to work anymore. He's, he's just laying back and living off that money. And he would be in, uh, a, a good choice for a private lender. But the, the point you brought up where they're saying that people they know don't have money, um, well, first off, and you also said that, that that's typically not true, and I agree with you. It, what you want to do is get the word out that you borrow money and pay a, a nice rate of return. And what you're going to find out is that people will start showing up. In fact, if, if someone you do know is broke, they might know somebody else that's not. For an example, you talk to to Aunt Mary and and say, uh, you know, I'm borrowing money and for housing, and, and Aunt Mary's broke, and she'll say, well, I'm broke, but but uh, you know, have you ever thought about Aunt Gertrude? Mm-hmm. And you know, Aunt Gertrude got a got a settlement for a half a million dollars, and and uh, uh, she's getting a low rate on a CD. Why don't you go talk to your Aunt Gertrude? You know, they'll they'll start referring you. And uh, and it didn't take too long to where people where you tell people what you're doing that that they get it, and they start uh, they start uh, loaning loaning money because uh, your job as a real estate investor is to get the word out that you pay a nice rate of return and just see what happens with it. Mm-hmm. I recommend that my students 
put together a list of at least 20 names. And, um, and I'll tell you, I have, I have done this throughout the years, and, um, and I, have, I have watched folks amass multi-millions of dollars in less than 24 hours using that technique alone mm-hmm. when they think their, their, their family and friends are broke yeah, and, and have nothing. And, and one, of the, one of the things that, that people really tend to overlook is, is that their friends who may be, you know, living paycheck to paycheck just like they are might have retirement funds that mm-hmm. are substantial. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I, I was talking to a, a, a guy yesterday who's, he's, he's, he, had a, he had an injury. He's literally unemployed and living with his parents. But he's got something like $150,000 in a 401k from his old job, mm-hmm. which means he can now roll it over into a self-directed IRA and become a private lender. And he was, he was shocked by all of this. He was like, really? Because I'm in mutual funds and, and, and their quarters, when those go negative, and, and mm-hmm. it, really, you, you pay 7% on that? And it's, it's not all about what, I, what you got in the bank. Your friends may think they're broke, in fact, because they don't yeah. have money in the Great bank. Point. But if they if they uh, make some of these loans again safely and securely, like we've talked about, from their IRAs, then they're not only getting this high rate of return; they're getting it tax deferred or tax free, depending on the type of IRA they have. That's exactly right, and it's one of the things I make a point of teaching uh, at, at at every event that I'm at because it, it is the pot of gold for real estate investors. And that scenario you gave, you know, so many times. People are a think that their friends are broke, or b they might think they got a uh, they don't have an IRA. But actually, if they've got a 401k, they can cr- fund and create their self-directed IRA and then loan you money. So you're looking for somebody that has quit retired or gotten laid off from their job, quit retired or gotten laid off from their job, and they've got one of those big old 401ks laying out there and they don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and again, you know, that's uh, we've had we've had some of our self-directed IRA experts here on real life real estate investing. And if folks want to go and find out more about that, they can go to realliferealestateradio.com, uh, where we've got a link to about a hundred old radio shows because we <laughs> we got like three minutes left. We don't have time to get into all the mechanics of of making that work through an IRA. But don't just don't just talk to your friends and family about do you have $50,000? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 do you have a retirement fund that you could, mm-hmm. that you could use uh, to invest in what, in as well? Because uh, from what I can tell from talking to people around the country, um, a, a, a lot of the assets that are being used for private lending right now are being used from people's retirement plans. Oh yeah. Uh, and as a matter of fact, you know, this is this is now something that I, I see is getting national media attention. You have a, a, an article from the Wall Street Journal now that <laughs> that is yeah. is talking about this sort of thing. And you know, a lot of people when they first hear about it, they say, "Oh, well, this must be new. This must be something Alan invented." Don't you wish? Yeah. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't you yeah. wish you had the copyright on <laughs> the, yeah, the patent? True. The patent on the idea of a private loan. Uh, but it's been going on for for many many years. My father bought his very first apartment building back in 1964, uh, using in part a private loan, and yep. I'm pretty sure he didn't invent it either. Yep. So this isn't this isn't something new, and it is getting more media attention. Uh, there was also an article here in the local business courier uh, six months ago, I guess, um, talking about that that folks were starting to turn to this. Lenders were starting to turn to this as a way of um, increasing what they can get on other types of investments. And, of course, the borrowers are turning to it because of the credit crunch. So it's the right topic at the right time, i got to tell you. Oh, no question.
no question. It's it's uh, just exploding right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once again, Alan is the featured keynote speaker at tomorrow night's RIA of Cincinnati meeting. Uh, that is held at 7.30 at Jordan Crossing at the corner of Reading and Seymour. I would suggest that if you have never been to a RIA meeting before, you get there a little bit early because there is some guest stuff that you got to fill out, and we're kind of expecting an overflow room for this topic. Uh, if you'd like to come to the early meeting, that is at 6 o'clock. That's a, a little bit more of an advanced investors meeting about how to run a real estate business with systems and staffing and so on. So... Uh, uh, again, you can get more information at CincinnatiRIA.com or by calling 859-292-7342. That's 859-292-RIA. Uh, very much appreciate you joining us today, Alan, to answer all these questions and to share your knowledge about uh, private lending. And I look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. Well, thank you. appreciate you having me on the call. It's been great. All right. Thank you very much, Alan. This has been Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.